Welcome to the last part of our series discussing creatively overcoming innovation bias using the logistics market as an example. Previously in this series, we took a deep dive into understanding bias, and last time we actually talked about adding some creative tools that can really get us moving forward. Today, we're gonna to talk about how a little bit of discomfort can be useful to prevent bias from taking control again. Chief E officer. So let's say that you are the CEO, right? You're the chief executive officer. Well, what if we changed out or added to that executive, to the E, and we made it stand for chief empowerer or enlister, emboldener, enthusiast, chief energy officer, chief encourager, Excitement, empathy, enforcer. How about chief example officer? Or even better, chief engager officer. You don't need a title to lead, but when you can impose a title on yourself, such as those that we just ran through, you are going to transform how you view your job. You are going to transform how others see you perform your job especially as the chief example officer, for example. If you demonstrate that you don't always have to be right, that you're willing to try new things, others will be encouraged by your discomfort. And it is that discomfort that actively prevents bias. And when we can do that, that's what allows us to actually grow and ultimately get to innovation. Discomfort prevents bias. So I'm going to tell you a story that I experienced using not only the five C's, but also using this reframing with somebody and how it allowed for growth. So um, not so long ago, though it feels a little bit longer now, I was working in a company and I was a coworker with an individual She's, she's brilliant. She was our graphic designer, but she did all sorts of other things as well. And just a remarkable person who was creative and had all sorts of ideas. We had a structural change and she ended up reporting to me. Our dynamic changed a little bit. She stopped bringing me so many ideas. She stopped offering all this creativity and she was assigned to work on a project that would affect the entire company. And she constantly was asking me questions on what I wanted from it. And one day she came in and she was not mad, but I could tell she was frustrated. And she's like, we need to talk. I'm like, okay, what, what's on your mind? She's like, you need to give me better directions on how you want this project to go and what you want from it. And it caught me off guard because I had constantly been saying to her, what do you think? My reasoning for asking her constantly, what do you think, what would you do, was she is far more knowledgeable about what was happening in that project. I had ideas, I mean, I don't run out of ideas, but she knew more than I did. She was more involved in it. She had done all of the work around it. 
and I'm happy to have some back and forth in discussion, but she just kept bringing me problems and expected me to give a solution. Okay, well, the solutions I could give might be the best solution. They might not be. I have no way of knowing. So what I said back to her was, what I want is you to own this project. I want you to stop bringing me problems without at least bringing me one potential solution to. And then we can discuss it. And she paused. And for a moment, that silence was really uncomfortable, I think for both of us, but especially for me. And then I could see something changing. She said, okay. And she did that little sigh at the end. Did I give you clear directions now? She said, yes. What could I have done earlier to make you feel that you had ownership of this? And she recognized that I had done that. And what she said back to me was, nothing. Because I didn't realize that was what you were asking of me. Because every boss I've ever had always told me exactly what they wanted, regardless of what I thought. In the moment, she recognized her bias. But I had to help her get there. I had to empower her to get there. And the result, by the way, was phenomenal. She did a fantastic job. And yeah, I had some input into it, but you better believe she did the heavy lifting. She did all of it. She did all of it. And it was fantastic. Questions versus statements. And that's a great example of reframing in, in the five C's, but it's also an example of a tool that I think people underestimate. And it's asking questions and not making statements. You see, when we ask questions, truly ask a question. We're not asking a rhetorical question or, or asking a question that sets somebody up. When we're actually being authentic in our question, it opens the other person's mind as well as ours. So if you're looking for a way to be more open, start asking more questions. Because a statement, a statement closes the mind. It puts your opinion out there. And when we put our opinions out there, that's a trap. Because it's really hard to go back off of them. So ask questions. Just ask a lot more questions of everybody. Listen to what they're saying. Take their ideas. Don't neglect them. Give them feedback on what you're going to do with that question that you asked them. What that does is it means that you're not only staying open, but you're also staying present. Now, does that take a little bit more time up front? It absolutely does. Absolutely it does. And when we get rushed, what are we going to default to? We're going to default to our bias. Just recognize when you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling rushed, you're having some anxiety, that's your signal of, is my bias at play? And then you can take that moment. Remember, time is one of our barriers. We can take that moment and get a little bit creative, get out of our head, and find a better way. Best ideas. I do need to ask you a question, and I'd like you to answer out loud. Where do you get your best ideas? Just shout it out. I want to point out something. For those of you that actually said it out loud, excellent. First, way to follow directions. But two, way to recognize that 
if that felt uncomfortable, that you broke through it, especially if you're in a group. For those that didn't say it out loud, don't beat yourself up. You didn't necessarily do that with intention, but recognize how your bias came to play of, well, that's just stupid. I'm by myself. Nobody's going to hear it. You'd hear it. You remember the power of three and three? That's why you're saying it out loud. You need to hear it. If you're in a group and you didn't want to sound stupid, well, nobody else is going to think you're stupid if they're all doing it too. Where do you get your best ideas? Well, the most common answers are the shower, exercising, driving, gardening, uh, cleaning, using the restroom, reading, cooking, sunbathing, playing with your kids. Oh, by the way, if your kids ever come up to you and they ask you to play with them, they're not necessarily looking for a play partner. I mean, they are doing that. But kids have discovered, unintentionally, to relieve stress, they play. Your kid is asking to help de-stress. They might recognize stress in you, and they're asking you to play to help you de-stress. Pick them up on it. Stop whatever you're doing. If safe, right? If you're in the middle of cooking, obviously you can't do it at that moment. But take the time. Play with your kids. Because playfulness is actually another tool that I talk about in some other things. And it works at home as well as at work. But let's get back to these best ideas and how we're going to change our brains. You know what a good idea is? And good ideas happen at work. Nobody says that they don't. But at work is a place I've never heard in the entire time that I've talked with groups across the globe about things as where they get their best ideas. They get good ideas at work. You know what a good idea is like? It's like a bus in a city. There's always another one around the corner. But best ideas, well, those are the ones that, that make you pause. They're the ones that give you that positive feeling of motivation that make you want to take action. And then usually what happens is fear sets in. But let's talk about being at work and when we get those good ideas. Well, when we're at work or when we're experiencing our normal day-to-day, -day, our brain patterns actually look like a beta wave. And we call it basic beta because that's our most basic conscious frame. And when I say conscious, if you thought in terms of an analogy of different wave patterns, when we're in basic beta, that's when the door is closed between our conscious and our subconscious. And that's not a bad thing, right? Being in basic beta, being in our river of expertise, that's what gets us that paycheck. Understand I'm not saying that being in basic beta is an autopilot, right? It's not, because you can react to things and you're constantly moving. What happens though when we start to laugh a little bit? Our feelings change, we become a little bit more relaxed or happier, and we actually see our brain waves change. You go into what we call aspiring alpha, because it's an alpha wavelength. In that, going back to our analogy, that door to the subconscious just creaked open a little bit. We can tap into things that we normally can't tap into when we're doing our routines. And it doesn't necessarily have to be laughter, but laughter is by far the fastest way to break into it. But if you are a person that gets your best ideas, say when you're in the shower, you're in habits, you're washing your body, most people don't really think about that as they're doing it, so your brain's doing something else and it's in a more relaxed state. So for some of those people, that's where they get their best ideas because it's how our brain is manifesting its wavelengths. Some of you didn't say all of those things that I said. Some of you probably said, well, I get my best ideas just before I fall asleep or just as I'm waking up. You're in that weird little dreamy state 
where if somebody were to come in and you had the TV on and they changed the channel, you instantaneously know it. You're not quite out, but you're not awake. It's where the door is really wide open to the subconscious. And I know that because I'm one of those. I get my best ideas when I have that theta wavelength moving. And the way to really capture those for me is I have to immediately write them down. I usually use actually voice text to do that off of my phone, because if I don't, they're gone. Which brings me to the fourth type is dang it delta. And in dang it delta, you know, that door is just blown off of its hinges. And this is the type of brain wavelength where you are in a deep sleep and suddenly you sit up and you know you just solved world hunger and at the same time thought of a way to revolutionize home baking at the same exact time. And then before you can even say anything or think anything else, it's gone. And then you're left saying dang it or whatever expletive you choose to use. Teams versus ensembles. When we're talking about brainwaves, we can actually see in groups that brainwaves can start to start to form. When we get to that stage of that happening, we usually start to call them teams, right? Everybody's got kind of a like mind. We're all moving in the same direction. But I can tell you as a coach that I would actually rather have a lot of good players that communicate on a team and are open to each other than having one or two just rock stars. Because what typically happens in a team, team dynamics are set up so that one, there's competition, which means somebody has to lose and somebody has to win. Somebody has to be wrong in their approach and somebody has to be right in their approach. That's not necessarily a bad thing when you're going up against a competitor, but what happens typically is those team dynamics start to come into a company and you start to get silos being formed. We have the marketing team, we have the sales team, we have the HR team. Those are all teams. That means they're competing against other teams. And when you have the logistics team competing against the sales team and the logistics operative description is to lower costs, reduce inventory, and sales is told go sell, 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 like we have everything on the shelf, that's in direct opposition. They can't do it. It doesn't work. So what if you change? What if you reframed teams to being not only more functional, but also more in line with what you want. Because what most people say they want is everybody to be on the same page going in the same direction so that everybody can win. Let me rephrase that word of win with everybody succeeding. You know what that's called? It's called an ensemble. The dynamics of an ensemble, and we're gonna use a play, are that the only way for me to succeed is to make sure that everyone else succeeds too. It doesn't matter how good the lead actor or actress is if the lighting guy misses all the cues or if the sound guy forgets to turn on the amplifier. Everybody fails. And this isn't to suggest that it's the responsibility of the audio guy to make sure that the lighting guy does his job and that the actors do their job and that the scene guys, scenery guys do their job. No. They work with each other. They perfect what they're doing and they communicate constantly with each other on what's happening. They offer out ideas. And what they're doing is they're growing a level of comfort, all working towards the same exact singular goal with each other that they can trust that their counterparts are gonna do their job. So they don't need to worry about if the lighting guy is gonna hit the mark at the exact right time that the actress finds her spot. 
because they've done it so many times, they know that they will. They also have enough comfort working with each other that they understand that if something goes amiss, they know how to automatically adjust. Because it's usually not a big thing that goes amiss. It's the small little things. But when they can automatically adjust, they've got it and everybody still succeeds. What happens when the small little things start to go wrong in a team? Frustration starts to set in. Communication starts to break down. Then nobody succeeds. And it's that aggregate. It's that, that bias of they never do their job. What do people do around here? It doesn't happen in ensembles. Do I expect that all of this can happen instantaneously? Absolutely not, right? Remember our baby steps. Change takes time. Change does take time. Now, again, we're not great with the concept of time as a species, but understand that your rivers have taken a lifetime to form. So to change them, you need to baby step them and work with others, because others are going to be how you can change the fastest. And that does take some time. But people tend to overestimate how much time that takes. You can't get a baby by getting nine women pregnant in a single month. Right? You don't get that one month baby. What you end up with is nine angry women who will have nine babies in nine months. Yes, you need some time, and you need to allocate and plan for that. But understand this, the small little change now, if you are consistent, will move forward quite rapidly. And you'll get there faster than you think. Collective Unconscious Ideas. I want you to go back to your house and look at it. How did I know with 90 to 95% accuracy what you drew? Well, the answer is quite simple. Is one, I didn't give you really that much time, so I forced you to go to your default, into your bias. I forced you to do that because you had this overwhelming need to get it right, even if you didn't recognize it. And popular influence tells us what a house should look like. I already knew that because I understand the emotion, then the bias, and what was going to happen in an extraordinarily short period of time. By understanding bias, you can now recognize it. By having some tools to creatively overcome, you can move away from bias. And now that you recognize that as you start to move away, you're gonna have some discomfort, but that discomfort is what's going to keep you out of your bias and allow you to innovate with your culture to, to bring more engagement, fulfillment, productivity, profitability, and honestly happiness. You will see that spill over not only from work, but also into your personal life at home. And isn't that what you imagined when you started to consider having growth year on year at 12% for a decade? Thank you so much for taking this journey with me. I do hope you've enjoyed this presentation and that you can leave a like or a review or even a comment that would absolutely go a long way in letting me know how this impacted you. If you have any questions, please do let me know. My contact information is included in the description. I am also available to speak at your event or even hold a masterclass. If you want to be sure to experience any other material I post, please be sure to subscribe. Cheers.